that has nothing to do with the message tonight. You, know, you probably figured that because we're in Proverbs 5. And last week we began a part, part one of this message in verses 1 through 14. And we, we titled it From Danger to Delight. And we talked about the danger of sexual impurity. Tonight I want to talk about the delight of sexual purity. Now I need to make some, some statements here by way of introduction. I, I want to leave it up to the parents on whether or not they let their child take sermon notes for this. And that's not at all sarcastic. That's very serious. Because you're going to hear the word sex and sexual relations a lot throughout the message tonight. And so I, I, don't, I don't know if you want them necessarily writing that down over and over. Um, that's completely up to you. You can give them a coloring page for the rest of the night. And I'd be okay with that. But. I also want to say this, that the word sex is not a bad word. It shouldn't be used flippantly. And so I'm not going to do a whole lot of joking around tonight, but it also shouldn't be taboo in the church. Um, I'm going to say it a lot, but only as it pertains to the text. I don't want to be crude. I don't want to abuse it. Um, I don't want there to be a sense of awkwardness in the crowd because we're using that word. God created it. And it is sacred and it is holy, but it is talked about quite frequently in the Bible. And, and, and not just the dangers of it, the delight of it. And I got to be honest, if I was just bouncing around the scripture, preaching just these one-off messages, whatever I wanted to preach, I wouldn't choose Proverbs 5, 15 through 23. But that's what we get for being committed to sequential expositional preaching we don't get to skip verses because they're a little awkward or they're a little uncomfortable um, so we're going to do our best to, to treat this correctly tonight but I want you to help me out as I preach this and, and learn from it and then let me say this if, if you're in here and you're already thinking oh great this is for married people and the whole time I'm going to feel less than a married person less valuable than a married person less important than a married person, less purposed in life than a married person. I've got some application for you at the end. And, and if you'll hang on, I, I do think this is more than just for married people. I think this will address every demographic in the building, but I don't want those who are not married um, to be short, feel shortchanged tonight because singleness in some people's life is a calling from God. I'm convinced of that. And I'll explain that towards the end. So so please understand, you're in my heart through this message. I, you're in my heart through the sermon prep. Truly are. I've prayed for you this week that God would not use this message to discourage you, um, but to encourage you. Let's read verses 15 through 23. Drink waters out of thine own cistern, and running wa waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad, and rivers of waters in the streets. Let them be only thine own and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind and the pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times. And be thou ravished always with her love. And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman or a woman that's not your wife? Why would you embrace the bosom of a stranger? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. 
and he pondereth all his goings. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sin. He shall die without instruction, and the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. I wrote this down to start the message. I think it's true. Every thou shalt not is meant to lead you to a that thou may. I want you to consider that. Every thou shalt not is meant to lead you to a that thou may. You could say it this way. For every no, God has a greater yes. Think about it. It started in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Why is that in there? Well, that thou may enjoy an exclusive relationship with the one true God. Thou shalt honor thy father and mother. Or you could say this, thou shalt not dishonor thy father and mother. Why? That thou may live long upon the earth, and that it may be well with thee. You see what I'm saying? It's no different in Proverbs 5. Thou shalt not, verses 1 through 14, thou shalt not commit sexual sin. Why? That thou may enjoy the pleasure of intimacy within marriage. You see, we tend to emphasize the thou shalt not, but sometimes fail to emphasize the that thou may. And I'll never, I'll never, unless my spirit's wrong, I'll never apologize for preaching the thou shalt nots of the Bible from this pulpit. But in doing so, I want to be careful to give the reason for why I'm preaching thou shalt not. That's what Solomon does with the second half of his lecture to his son. And it really gives us parents a pretty wise approach to hard talks with our kids. If you're going to set a rule, if you're going to set a boundary, if you're going to set a standard, especially that different from the culture or their peers, it's okay. You should do that. But let me tell you what you should also do. Tell them why. Enough of this parenting philosophy that says, because I said so. That's foolish, it's irresponsible, and it's lazy. And if you don't have a strong reason why you have this standard, or, or why you have this rule, or why you have this boundary, if, they can't, if you never sit down and tell them from the Bible why, here's what's happening, you're breeding rebellion in their hearts. Because none of it is making sense to them. And Solomon tells us, he models a great parenting philosophy for a hard talk such as that on the sexual relationship. And he told his son, hey, God is strongly opposed to sexual relationships outside of marriage. And here's why. Because he is so strongly in favor of the enjoyment of the sexual relationship within marriage. Warren Wiersbe put it so well. God didn't put the marriage wall around sex to rob us of pleasure but to increase pleasure and protect it. I want the young people in here to especially get that. That, that, that. that we don't preach these kind of things to make your life miserable. Look at me, young people. The carpet never changes color. Watch here. God is not a cosmic joy kill. He doesn't create these boundaries to make your life miserable until you get married. Your marriage is enhanced because you wait. Trust people. Ask people on both sides of the aisles. Those that waited and those that didn't wait. It's not like that those that didn't wait can't be redeemed and have a great marriage. But there are particular struggles that they have to work through that hinder intimacy. And, and, and I want you to trust God's word on this. 
So through the message, I, I want to bring out three ways that sexual intimacy within marriage can be delightful. Notice the first in verses 15 through 17. Sexual intimacy within marriage is delightful when it is shared with no one else. Three verses prove that. Verse 15, drink waters out of thine own cistern, running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad and rivers of waters in the streets. Let them be only thine own and not strangers with thee. So, so he talked about cistern and wells, two common uh, storage areas for water. Every house had a cistern and a lot of homes had their own well. You didn't go to other homes to get their water. You got water from your cistern. You got water from your well. That's pretty simple to understand. We would say this, don't go to someone else's refrigerator to steal their milk. Solomon is saying in the same way, you have your own well and cistern for sexual intimacy. It's called your spouse. That's it. No other, no other person, no other object outside of your own spouse is in bounds for sexual intimacy. And he talks about verse 16 and 17 and says you could go out into the streets if you wanted to. You could find sexual gratification in other things in other people. The culture I talked about last week is screaming at us and those options are so easily accessible and we can keep them a secret for a very, very long time. But Solomon says don't do that. Don't go to the streets. Don't go with strangers. Satisfy your sexual desire with your spouse. It's an exclusive deal. Now, here's what I want to say. When we're dedicated to that principle, to our spouse and our spouse alone, not pornography, not self-gratification, not an affair of any kind, emotional or physical, when we are, when we are dedicated to our spouse in our spouse alone, in our sexual life, that's when our sexual life has the potential to be at its best. The world would tell you different. The world would say that the sexual relationship with the same woman or the same man for 50 plus years eventually gets old. And at some point they would say you gotta change the tires, right? You gotta change things up. That's simply not true. There are so many reasons, and I'm, I'm still, I'm just, I'm at the 13-year mark in marriage, so I'm just past the trying to really figure it out to not, still not being great at it. Talking about marriage. <laughs> that, that was not in the notes, not planned, I'm not trying to be crude. But, I, I'm, so I, I guess I'm setting up myself to say, I'm not, I don't want to come across as an expert in this at all. I'm just past the place where I'm kind of figuring it out. And so I, I could mention many reasons, even, even biological reasons, why married sex is better than the alternative. But the main reason is because married sex is the only sex that provides the kind of intimacy God intended the sexual relationship to bring. The pleasure of sex can be exhilarating and great, but when you're having sex with the one you're married to, it's also innocent. It's pure. It's not out of bounds meaning you don't have to wrestle with your conscience being smitten. So when you're sleeping with the one you're married to, you not only get physical pleasure, but you share an intimacy that lasts far beyond the bedroom. Unlike sex outside of marriage, it's mainly for pleasure. The only thing that is long-lasting about sex outside of marriage is the guilt one feels on their conscience afterwards. So you tell me what's more delightful, sex that feels good on the body but hurts the heart, or sex that feels good on the body and helps the heart. So sexual intimacy with marriage is delightful when it's shared with nobody else. Here's a second thing in verse 18. Sexual intimacy within marriage is delightful when it is based on a lifetime of mutual commitment 
to growing love. I chose that, wor- that wording uh, very, very intentionally. I'll explain it in a second. Look at verse 18. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice. I love that. Rejoice with who? The wife of thy youth. Or you could say the husband of your youth. He's talking to his son, so he says the wife of your youth. He's referring to the person you married when you were young. Your first husband, your first wife, no doubt he's promoting a lifetime commitment to one spouse. And that's not the world's message today, watch, especially to men. I want to make a strong point here so men listen. The world will tell us that there's not really interest in wrinkles or white hair or liver spots. There's no attraction to crow's feet, varicose veins, or sagging skin. In other words, there's really no interest in real women. Women who have babies, grow older, endure stress, and even suffer health problems. The world says, I'm just going to be frank, that as soon as time steals away the youthful face and the tight body of your wife, you are justified in moving on to another one. And I would say on the authority of God's word, that's the corruption of God's plan. And how we are to treat women, especially our wife. A man's life is not designed to be an endless search for different women, always on the prowl for who's younger and who's more attractive. In 1989, Stephen Curtis Chapman recorded a song titled, I Will Be Here. I've sung it for several weddings. I will be here. da 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 And the song is about staying devoted to his wife until they were parted by death. And he he reflected about growing old with his wife in the line of of his song that says this. I will be here, watch this, I will be here to watch you grow in beauty. That That doesn't make a lick of sense to the world. Because when a woman grows old, they don't get more beautiful, the world would say. So how is that possible that he's saying his wife is going to grow in beauty? How does a woman who has had children, undergone surgeries, doesn't spend three hours a day at the gym because they actually care about being a mom and a wife? How does that woman grow in beauty to her husband? I'll tell you how. It's when the husband's definition of beauty lines up with God's definition of beauty. For men who are shallow, their conception of beauty is dependent upon the appearance of a woman, and it ends there. So when life causes their wife's appearance to alter, they have no idea what to do. They have no idea how to adjust their attractions with their, when their wife no longer looks 18 years old. And so they put this pressure on their wife, a pressure she's not meant to carry, especially if she brought your babies into the world. But beauty to God is so much more than outward appearance. It has, nothing to do with the, it has nothing to do with the beauty of her body necessarily as much as it does the beauty of her character, the beauty of mutual dependence upon one another, the, mutual, the, 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 the beauty of shared intimacy with one another for a lifetime, the, the beauty of secrets kept just between you and your spouse, the beauty of friendship that blossoms more and more as you water it through the years. That means if you really have a growing love for your wife, men, the sexual relationship will be delightful because you will find her attractive at every stage of life because you view beauty as God views beauty. You define it like God defines it. You're not shallow. You're not carnal. You're not not sinful in your definition or worldly in your definition of what a pretty woman looks like. And by the way, 
getting hooked on pornography destroys our mind and how we think of women. Don't think for a moment it won't eventually affect the way you view your wife. I sat down with the vice president of Heartland Baptist Bible College my senior year, about a month and a half before I graduated, and he looked at me. He always likes to say awkward things. His name's Jeff Coates. And, and he said, Tyler, the married life, and he winked at me. Like, you know what I mean? It only gets better the longer you're married. And then it just grossed me out. I didn't want to hear that from him, right? But he was right. See, I didn't understand that like I do today. And, 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 and as, as appropriate as I can say this, our sexual intimacy, my, my wife and I has grown like crazy in 13 years, and here's why. Because we've grown in our love for one another. We're committed to living together the rest of our life, and so we're also committed to growing in love with each other more and more. We've both graduated from the stage of lust, where it's all about the physical and outward, to a stage of, of true love, where what attracts us to one another and what provokes sexual intimacy, it's not just the outward, but it's so much more. It's things like her gentleness, her forgiveness, her patience towards me. Her faithfulness to the Lord, I see her on my chair every morning doing her devotion. Her grace. Hey, it's her friendship that we can go to the bowling alley and enjoy bowling together. Now, I like to see her from behind throw a ball down the lane. I'm not going to lie. It's my woman. And I'm attracted to her. But she's had a baby. And she's had 42 surgeries, something around there. And she doesn't spend every day at a gym because she keeps our home. And she, and, and she trains our son. She ministers to me in our ministry here. She ministers to ladies every day. She has her priorities right as a woman. And I'm deeply attracted to her, but it's more than just outward. As we grow old together, I'm finding that our sexual intimacy increases. It's not because we're both losing weight at a rapid pace and have model-like bodies. It's because I love the woman. It, 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 it's, it's because she grows in grace. She grows in, in, in inner strength. She grows in character. Do you get what I'm saying? I'm just saying, I'm trying to help them in. There's really no excuse for being that shallow. And if you can't adjust your attractions as life alters the appearance and, and all of that of your wife and put this, this, this undue pressure on her to look like an 18-year-old, that is carnal. And all the women said? <laughs> so if you're single, let me say this. If Solomon is promoting sexual intimacy with one spouse for one life, if you're single, you better choose your spouse wisely. God doesn't give us an out. He, he, I mean, we could talk about divorce. That was a bad statement because God actually does. But, but overall, God's, God's plan is for you to be married for a lifetime. And, and you better choose your spouse not just because of their outward beauty or because there's chemistry like you read online you're supposed to have you better ask God to align your attractions with his 
to align your definition of beauty to his definition of beauty because infatuation will not get you a lifetime worth of delight. Only true love based on the right things will accomplish that. So Solomon tells us that sexual intimacy within marriage is delightful when it's shared with no one else and when it's based on a lifetime commitment of growing love. But notice one more thing in verse 19. He says it's delightful when it is passionately pursued and enjoyed on a regular basis. Verse 19. Let her be as a loving hind in pleasant row. Just talking about the female uh, deer. That, that, that is who Solomon likens the, the woman and the wife unto a lot in Proverbs. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished always with her love. I want to be careful here because I worded this one carefully too. I put the word passionate. I put the word regular. And let me say this. Every marriage has the right to define these two words in their own context. Okay? How you define regular and how you define passionate is up to you. But I would say this, outside of things beyond your control as far as health and other things, if you get to a place, watch, where the pattern in your marriage, not just a season because we all go through seasons, I'm talking about a pattern, a long pattern of your marriage has, looks more like less passionate in the sexual relationship and the enjoyment level of each other is very weak and distant for a long, long period of time. Listen to me. According to this verse, you are not at the place God intends you to be. I say that because God wants us to be, he said, ravished with our spouse. This is in the context of the physical relationship. Another word for the word ravished is this, intoxicated. He's saying literally, be drunk with her love. Be stupid in love with your spouse. Get this, this is it. God loves the faithful expressions of sex within marriage so much that he commands not just that it happens, but that it be enjoyed to the point of intoxication. The implication is clear. If that's not a reality in your marriage, that's not okay. The sexual relationship isn't pursued passionately and regularly as you define it. You are missing out on a level of intimacy and emotional connection and trust that can only be enhanced and built by the sexual relationship. But also get this, even if your marriage is distant right now or your passion for each other is weak for any number of reasons, you need to hear this command as good news because God will never command something without supplying the grace and strength to obey it. Thus we have to conclude there is a grace for you, ma'am, there is a grace for you, sir, to delight in your spouse the way God desires, even if that's not a reality in your marriage right now. If something they did to you has hurt you, and you've entered into a, a, a pattern of sexual abstinence in your marriage, and, and you know in your heart it's been way too long, and it's unhealthy, and you're not where God wants you to be in that regard because of a hurt, or because of betrayal, because of a lack of trust, or a lack of investment on your spouse's part, then I'm just telling you, if God commands you to enjoy and delight in a passionate pursuit, a sexual pursuit of your spouse, he will also give you the grace for that. If you take a step towards working towards that end, God will help you. He really will. I'll tell you a little bit more practical instruction on that at the end of the message. So having said all that, the three things that 
Solomon shows us in those verses. He wants to make a closing point to his son, and it actually comes by way of a rhetorical question. Let me tell you the point, and then we'll read the verses. The point is this. Since there, since there is such delight in the sexual relationship within marriage, it is absurd to seek delight outside of it. Verse 20. And why wilt thou, my son, considering everything I just told you, be ravished or intoxicated with a strange woman, someone that's not your wife or not your husband? And why would you embrace the bosom of a stranger? And he says, here's why I say that. Because in verse 21, God sees everything. In verse 22, sexual sin binds you. And in verse 23, sexual sin ultimately destroys you. Ask Samson. Have you ever read Judges 13, 14, 15, and 16? Scratch your head and wanted to ask him the same question Solomon asked his son. Why wilt thou, my son Samson, be ravished with a girl your parents told you to stay away from? Why would you be ravished with Delilah? We, our staff just went and watched Samson and Branson, and I'm thinking the whole time, what an idiot. This guy had so much potential, and then at the very end, I was reminded, I'm that idiot. I have every propensity to be that idiot. And that's humbling to me. And I'm going to be honest, it's scary to me. That I'm literally one decision away from losing my marriage and my ministry. And so I look in the mirror as I prepare this sermon and I ask myself, why wilt thou, Tyler? Why will you try to find delight outside of your spouse? Why? It's so absurd. It's not God's plan. So let me just make a couple of statements by way of application. I want to talk to the singles who hope to be married. Eventually, that would be maybe some junior high or teen, uh, high school or college or even single adults. <clears throat> Sex within marriage is always worth the wait. And until then, please hear me, do everything in your power to stay pure. Everything. Why? Because sexual purity outside of marriage leads to a greater sexual enjoyment within marriage thou shalt not that thou may it's a great thing but you need to wait on it but if you're convinced that God has included marriage somewhere in your future listen pursue it wisely and pursue it patiently and be careful and I think Probably every staff member would tell you from their experience counseling that one of the things that is most heartbreaking sometimes is when it's so clearly obvious that the couple were, were, were counseling perhaps got married out of God's will. And that, now they have to learn to love somebody that it, they just lusted over. It was simply infatuation. And they got into marriage and they figured out, oh, that doesn't last. i got to learn how to love. And then it, it is the hardest thing in the world. Trying to get somebody to love someone they don't like. 
And I want to tell them, you're better off being 50 years old and never getting married than marrying somebody that wasn't good for you. Do you hear me? Let me talk to singles who may never get married or who have been married and may never remarry. Singleness, I'm convinced, I think Brother Mike would agree, is God's plan for some people. I know he taught a series on this in his class. And if that's where you're at, I think the Bible in Ephesians 5 has some good news to you, be, for you because it makes it clear that, that those who are single are not any less valued by God than those that are married. And here's how I know that, because in, in, in Ephesians 5, please listen, Paul explains the nature and purpose of marriage, and toward the end of his teaching, he boils everything down with a summary statement that says this, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So what is he saying? Everything the Bible has to say about marriage is ultimately not really about marriage at all. God made marriage to point people to Jesus Christ. Husbands, please listen, husbands and wives exist to reflect the saving purpose of Christ for his bride, the church. Marriage is only ultimately an arrow that that points to the reality of Christ's love for his bride. That's good news for those that God intends to be single because it means that though you have legitimate God-given sexual desires, you do not need marriage in any essential way to accomplish God's ultimate purpose for your life, pointing others to him. So if you don't have a wife like, to love like Jesus loved the church or you don't have a husband right now to love and serve like Jesus loved and served the church, you can devote all your strength and all your time and all your energy to personally showing others the love of Christ. You may never have a marriage to point others to the love of Christ, but that means you have all the more time and energy and focus to give your life to pointing others towards the love of Christ. Please hear me, a lifetime of singleness doesn't make you any less important for the kingdom of God and his purpose for for this world. If you've been married and your spouse has died or you've been divorced and, and you know that it's not likely that you'll ever be remarried, God still has a purpose for you. In fact, I would say that if singleness is God's call in your life, you need to embrace it and leverage it for the kingdom of God because you have potential to be even more effective than a married couple does in a lot of ways. Does that make sense? And I want, us to, I, I want us as a church to be careful about going up to singles in our church and saying, hey, you gonna get married yet? That's silly. It's like going up to a couple and saying, when are you gonna have a kid? You don't, they might be struggling with infertility. Or they might be led by God to not have one in this season of their life. We need to be sensitive about those kind of things because I believe by saying those kind of things, we cheapen the call of singleness that I'm convinced God has put on some people in this church. And it's amazing, isn't it, Brother Mike, to watch how God's call of singleness on some people in our church, how they leverage that, and they give so much more time than even a married couple could in some ways to our children's ministry and, and, and bus ministry, other things that they can just pour their life into pointing others towards the love of Christ that he has for his bride. It's a beautiful thing. And then let me talk to married couples and I'll be done. Just, just three statements and a little bit of substatements. Rejoice in the wife or husband of your youth. What does that mean? Please look up here. Revisit often what you love about your wife. Revisit that often. 
Revisit often what it is you love about your husband and delight in those things. Cultivate, please, please hear this statement. Cultivate your attraction for your spouse by daily rejoicing in their strengths, not daily lamenting in their weaknesses. Statement number two with some sub-statements below. Pour energy into your marital relationship. What do you mean? Husbands, what does your wife appreciate? How does she feel loved? Wives, what does your husband appreciate? How does he feel loved? I, I would suggest the book, The Five Love Languages, if you haven't read it. When you're tempted to serve yourself, instead serve your spouse and pour your energy into that relationship because you only get out of your marriage what you put in. I'm, just, I'm so burdened right now. My wife is so burdened. In fact, she was in tears two nights ago. Burdened about marriages that just aren't everything they need to be. And as kindly as I can say this, listen, if you're a husband, if you pour more energy into your work and your hobby and your sports and your stupid fantasy football stuff and your video games, you throw more energy into that junk than you do the wife of your youth, shame on you. I don't say that, I'm, I'm not preaching down to you because for a, a good part of our marriage, six or seven years, I poured more, more interest and more energy and more enthusiasm into even a good thing like the ministry than I did in the wife of my youth. When God finally hit me upside the head hard enough for me to humble myself in a number of circumstances that I might mention to you down the road, really cleaned my clock when it came to being a, a passionate husband, now I'm playing catch up. Here's why. Because as a 21, 22, 23, 24, 25 year old, I would not grow up. I still wanted all my little things on the side. I wanted to golf four times a week. Plus be in the ministry. Plus go referee four games. Plus go to every liberal high school game. And every college game. Oh, and my wife's back at the house. I forget about that. She's raising Kevin. Forget about that. I'm just being real frank with you, real honest with you. That a lot of marriage are struggling because, because the men, the husbands are bums. Immature. Men in their 20s and 30s will not grow up. They play city league everything. But their wife is at home with a broken heart. And that is not okay. That is not okay. And then we want her body. And that's selfish. And it's not just husbands, it can be wives. Wives not, might not be absent. They, 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 they might not be what the husband is. They might not be passive. But they can bring down their husband. You, you know husbands need respect. And, 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 and wives can, can just bring them down and bring them down and bring them down and they feel about that tall they never do anything right listen wives that's not that's not okay your husband needs to know you believe in him even though he's a sinner even though he messes up even though he fails even though sometimes he's passive 
Sometimes he's immature. Sometimes he's irresponsible. He needs a wife full of grace and full of compassion that comes and speaks his love language. And if I can't win you through my word, I'll win you through my chaste conversation and I'll love you to Jesus. 1 Peter 3. I'm, I'm burdened tonight for marriages that, 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 that are struggling simply because. It's not, even, it's not even grotesque sin. It's not sexual sin. It's passivity. It's a lack of growth. Can't be that way. And I would say this in light of the text. Direct all your sexual energies towards your spouse. All of them. Do everything you can to foster a passionate sexual expression towards your spouse because it's God's plan and it's his way. Watch, ultimately, it's his way of giving you a glimpse into the final marriage you'll have with him for all eternity in heaven when you will no longer need the sexual relationship to be fulfilled. Your intimacy with God will be so close that you won't have sexual desires. And so pursue that as it gives you a small glimpse, maybe the closest on earth, of what you're going to experience with God over and over and over. And if there is something that has hurt your sexual relationship, and it's something you can control, you need to work on it. You need to talk about it. You need to apologize. Maybe you need to forgive. Maybe you need to get counsel. Because it is part of the marital relationship that God has both watched, created, and commanded. He said, be ravished always with her love. Be satisfied always. And he mentions physical body parts that are conducive to the physical relationship. So I think this message in some way touches everybody. Some of us need to be careful. Some of us need to be forgiving. Some of us need to take initiative. Some of us need to shore up our relationship with our spouse. Some young people need to get to the altar tonight and beg for God's grace to wait. Just a lot of things that we could talk to God about tonight. We're going to take time to do that. Stand to your feet. Bow your head.